Welcome back to Citizen the Pod. It's your girl, Kina Zontel, and I am so excited to share with you guys this special episode. I was blessed with the opportunity to have a live podcast taping during this year's Congressional Black Caucus Foundation Annual Legislative Conference 2019 in Washington, D.C. I want to apologize for some of the background noise that you're going to hear. It was taped in a very large hall with vendors and other stages. So I apologize for that, but the audio came out much better than I expected, which is a total blessing. And I just hope you guys enjoy the show. Thanks so much for listening to the show. Stay tuned. So we're going to get started. I want to thank everybody that came out here today for the taping of Citizen the Pod at CBCF. ALC 2019. I'm so excited to be here. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Citizen the Pod, but my name is Kina Zontel. I am the host. It is a political podcast and I speak to millennials. My goal in the podcast is to really get people excited about the issues and to drive them to the polls in 2020. Um, Voting is very important to me. It's time for young people to take their seat at the table. So that's the goal of the podcast. And I'm excited for all of you to be here to help me talk to these wonderful young men who are out here doing big things. Hallie is definitely in the house. I'm a New Yorker, so I'm a little bit biased, but you know, okay, okay. But Callie is doing big things, of course, in the economic development industry and cannabis, of course. And they've also been a leader in moving the social justice lens in regards to the legalization of marijuana. So I think I am here talking to the perfect people about this issue. So I want to get started by introducing who's here with me. I just met them, so I do need to use my notes. Bear with me. Oh, but Bear was a good segue. Um, the On my right is Bear Clark. He is a partner with the United Cannabis Business Association and founder of Bears Vibes. If you're not familiar with the United Cannabis Business Association, it's the voice for cannabis retail in California. They shape the regulated cannabis industry through their political efforts while creating a network and community for licensed members of the industry. I am also here with Taj Tashombe. Thank you so much for being here. He is the Vice President of Government Affairs for the Oakland A's. In this role, he oversees political business and community engagement for the team, especially their new ballpark in Oakland. He spent 15 years as a branding executive and and has led strategic media and experiential um, partnerships with major networks and Fortune 100 brands. His scope is definitely wide. He's worked for the Super Bowl, the Grammys, the Academy Awards, the NBA, TNT, the NFL, and the list is longer than that, but we only have 52 minutes and we can't name all of their accomplishments. So I'm gonna get started with having a conversation with them. This conversation is entitled Power, Pot, and Poverty. I think it was important for me to have this conversation because many people feel like the cannabis industry right now with all of its regulations has been doing a really great job at keeping people of color out. But what we're seeing on this stage are two young men who've been able to crack the code and be a part of something that's bigger than themselves. So we're gonna get started by just talking about your experiences working with the state of California and your journey with cannabis. Hey, how's everybody doing? Uh, 
Well, um, I started a company called Bears Vibes about three years ago. Cannabis uh, is one of those things where people, uh, this is where I want to go with this. Um, they're keeping us out, but the truth of the matter is, is that we have to figure out a way to combine efforts, you know, combine resources, combine information. So we all have a fair shot at this, you know. As everybody usually says, we're going against big corporations and things of that nature. But it really is kind of a test on the black community to see if we can actually unify and uh, try to create tangible, you know, information of some sort. Oh, and cannabis. Oh, yeah. About the industry. Yeah, um, I started cannabis about five years ago. I started a shop, uh, and I kind of helped that shop together. So it went from a 3,000 square foot platform, small shop, to now 10,000 square foot shop. Thank you for the introduction, and it's a pleasure to be here with you and all of you today in the audience. My lens is a little different from Bear's, but what I was explaining offline to him is that this conversation has become ubiquitous, just about with every industry, for every sector of our country, there is a cannabis conversation taking place. So in professional sports, it's also been a very polarizing topic. And Major League Baseball is probably one of the most conservative of all the professional leagues in North America. So they don't really have a position as an entity on the use of cannabis for athlete recovery and things of that nature and medicinal use. But what I will say is that my role is involved with the development aspect of our community because we're trying to build a $4 billion entertainment complex in Oakland as well as gentrifying a neighborhood where we currently play in a deep East Oakland neighborhood which is predominantly African American and is now surrounded by the grow industry and warehouses that none of our community owns. So this is a trillion dollar industry with less than 1% ownership from African American cannabis proprietors. And that in itself explains a lot. So when I think about the real estate footprint and how our communities are being impacted through the development of commerce, housing, and essentially creating more or less a, a gentrified movement right, to come back into our communities, whether it's a, a commercial district that has suffered, that now has been zoned for industrial, that can grow uh, marijuana, or areas that are currently industrial that have been turned into these multifaceted uh, locations, like warehouses that can be used for conventions, conversations, dispensaries, etc. In my city, that's taken over. But we're not a part of that conversation. And some of it has been the perception, obviously, in, in the history. And in California, there has been legislation. I just passed some legislation this week, actually, in California uh, for the stadium. But as it relates to criminal justice reform, that's one area where I think there has been a barrier for us as, as a culture to being at the forefront of the conversation from a commercial side and developing a larger owner, ownership footprint. So I think. That's what we need to get around, is, is understanding where the criminal justice reform um, can be revised even more to prevent us 
from not having access. And I think that's when we really need to start the conversation. Well, I find it very ironic that we make up 1% of the ownership, yet we probably take up 60% of the jail sales in regards to marijuana sales. So I think it is, it's important for us to continue to have this conversation because we really need to flip that statistic. Um, to be quite honest, if we're gonna keep it real, right? We've been the ones to really revolutionize how to sell it. So we should be the ones who, we should be the ones who should be able to figure out how to take that street mentality and become business owners. And I was watching a documentary that was talking to dispensary owners at a convention in Nevada. And one of the guys made a comment that basically implied that our, our men and boys who have spent time on the streets doing something that is now legal don't have the business acumen that will transfer into the industry. Now everyone sitting here knows that makes absolutely no sense at all, right? So I think it's time for us to, like you said, get unified and start working together on ways to bridge that gap. Um, and social justice is definitely an important piece. As I mentioned before, I'm from New York State, and right now we are seeing a battle between our minority legislature, our minority legislators and the governor and the marijuana lobby. Right now, they, they will not vote for or pass a piece of legislation in New York State that does not heavily address the social justice component of marijuana. So as you guys, everyone here is from different states. We, California, Colorado, um, I'm not sure what other states have. Washington, Washington, Texas. They've all passed these laws and this legislation without taking a stand, but that may be because of the makeup of their legislature. But if you live in a progressive state and you have the opportunity to move your legislators in ways that are going to support the people that they serve, it's time for your black and brown legislators to stand up to the marijuana lobby the same way they would stand up for, or stand up for their folks, their constituents, the same way they will stand up for big business, the same way they will stand up for their donors. So if you don't see your minority legislators taking a stand and saying, look, I'm not gonna pass a piece of legislation that doesn't address our issues and concerns up front and firmly, they should all work together as a unified front to make sure those laws don't pass. But you know, that's just my spiel. That's just my spiel. But um, as young men of color, who are definitely out here being the example um, to how to like break into economic development, of course, and cannabis, what would be a piece of advice that you would give to young people who are trying to break into the hot industries right now? Because I feel like cannabis is a hot issue. You know, opportunity zones is a hot issue. How do we, as young people, decide to make that leap? How do we do it and sustain it? Well, uh, that's a great question. Very important on how to start. Uh, in my experience, I would say that uh, research, research, these are laws that are able to make sure your, your business is actually able to be successful. So research, you know, don't just jump out and think that, uh, oh, I want to be the famous, I smoke weed, let me just go do it. <laughs> right, uh, right. But at the same time, there are many jobs in the cannabis space 
that absolutely do not need license. Okay. Um, one thing that the cannabis space is extremely suffering from is cool. Uh, Nothing's cool. Mad thing is the most thing cool, and that's the most whitewashed thing I've ever seen. So it's. Uh, Can you repeat that one more time? I didn't hear you. Um. Okay. Was sorry. it cool? You said what was the what was cool. the cool? Okay. Cool. The cannabis industry is absolutely missing the cool element. The uh -huh. reason why so you buy cool. Apple, it's not cool. Marketing. It's not cool. It's not cool at all. Um, yeah, you buy Apple over Android, even though everybody knows that the Android is the best phone. I have an Apple phone only. I was just about to say, hold on, I'm seeing Apple. No. What it's, you mean? I mean, in every way possible, <laughs> uh, Android beats Apple, like out of the water. Like out of the water. But Apple is able to be friendly, you know, and blue instead of green. Blue is more appealing to color. But, uh, we're going back to cannabis stuff, though. Um, as far as if you want to get involved in the cannabis industry, um, team up, you know, uh, strength in numbers. You want to be able to uh, use resources, resource business. It's the one test that society now has, black community has, as far as um, you have to band together to do it. You know, you need over, there's 50, Prohibition mm -hmm. and alcohol and what happened in the 20s and 30s, this is exactly the same thing, right? So this took place less than 100 years ago mm -hmm. in terms of a product that was being started to become commercialized and then it was taken away, right, by the government. It wasn't legal, it then became legal again. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this is an opportunity for us to educate ourselves as a community on one, understanding what our rights are. Two, understanding this is a state issue. These are state issues, they're not federal issues. So that also creates another barrier for us to commune from New York to California. We couldn't start a business. As far as licensing, I mean, honestly, you have to apply. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, we do have to go to websites, you know. We have to go to our government websites. We have to find out what's going on. We do have to use Google. We have to actually research. As far as the fear element of this business, um, of the, you know, not knowing where things are out there in the world and what's a landmine and what's not. Mm -hmm. um, I just think it's more of a, like I said, teaming up. You know, there's lawyers that are trying to specialize in this. So as they grow, your knowledge base will grow. There's nothing wrong with raising money that we spend $150 for a consultation with the lawyer to inform yourself about the laws. You know, there's little ways that you can, you know, there's little ways you can kind of just like, it's, there's so many topics I'm gonna to talk about when it comes to the, the walls and barriers that are actually not in our way when it comes to the cannabis industry. Um, black people don't share. 
that's what it comes down Repeat to. Repeat that one more time. Black people don't share, you know? The game is sold and not told, all that wild stuff. Uh, I be feeling a certain way. As somebody that's been in the industry for six years now, you know, I've been, I'm what you call the gray hybrid, you know? So, and now to be fully compliant for four years, it's, it's different for me. I've had a different experience on this journey than the most natural person, you know? So, I don't know, I'm gonna ask a question about you. Come back to me, I'll knock it out. So, you mentioned Sherman Oaks. Can you tell us what's the demographics in Sherman Oaks? 80% Caucasian, 10% uh, Asian, and uh, Black is 2%, Span Latino, Spanish is, uh, yes, it's just like that, 80%. Um, go ahead. So I asked that question because he mentioned what I thought what I thought was a powerful point. When the folks in Sherman Oaks don't want something to happen in their community, they write letters. They reach out to their legislators. They push to make sure that they get what they want from the from the businesses and the developers that come into their hoods. Yeah. Well, we need to do the same thing. That's why I love this show because it all comes full circle. Voting becomes even more important. Having a seat at the table continues to be more important because those are the things that are keeping these two young men and other young black entrepreneurs from being able to do the things that they know will positively affect their communities because there's someone who's willing to shut them out, who are not willing to have that conversation with them or to see them as somebody coming into their community and doing something that they don't like. So us as black people, we have black metropolises all over this country and we should be able to do those same things. And I was gonna just add to this, how many of you guys have had the Popeye's chicken sandwich? No, I How many people have had it? Few of you have. I'll do it again. If they had a vegan burger, would you got gotten it? You would have. I would have. My point on that comment is that we supported a hundred million dollar phenomenon Man. over a chicken sandwich in ten days. I, I gave a quick stat to the panel I was on yesterday. I'll give it to this audience too. Popeye's has twenty five hundred locations. Each location sold a thousand chicken sandwiches a day. The sandwich is three dollars and ninety-nine cents. You do the math. That's nine point nine million dollars every day. Right. That's a lot. For ten days, it's a hundred million dollars. So these aren't, you know, fictitious numbers. Yeah. See, uh, MSNBC did a study. A couple other entities did studies to kind of show what the market trend was on Popeyes and the chicken sandwich. And now you can go in there with your own bun. And go get some chicken. I'm telling you. That's so, what? yes, you can go in with your Hawaiian bread rolls, your Brioche rolls, your, oh. your, oh. your, your Safeway. I'm serious. <laughs> so, my point is we have a $1.2 trillion purchasing power as African Americans, and we have not, I mean, for the life of me, this isn't just a cannabis so issue. Right. This yeah. is really about our, to your point, we don't trust each other, we don't spend our dollars. Yeah. in our community we don't right. support our own businesses so this expo how many of you have bought anything for this expo this week i haven't been around yet oh hey, amen yeah this so we have to take that same energy group. back into the community right back into the back right. into the neighborhood and what i want to just leave on this point with is that we struggle understanding the sharing aspect the sharing narrative i wouldn't know what the number one African-American cannabis dispensary is. 
right. like in the country. Yeah, who is that? Who would I even support? Right. You know, before meeting you, I didn't know about your your two locations, right? So, where my question is, where is the information? Like, how do we, what resources are there? How do you know where to find us in the business? See. I've been throwing that around a lot, and I, I do plan on being the, the thing that cures that problem, um, that uh, customer pain. And uh, with my company, I have a brand also that's called Bears Vibes. And uh, I'm literally, uh, it's all about inspiring the culture to live healthy. Like I said, I'm a vegan. Um, but to bring it back to your narrative, um, yeah, uh, we have to be able to, sorry, that's my train where do we get the information? Oh, oh yeah, we're gonna have information. So I lost the information. Sorry, here you go again. All right. So, but no, but seriously, though, I'm gonna have a platform where basically you can find out when the licensing date is, because that's the most important part. When's the cutoff time? Who are the lawyers that are actually getting on board? I'm gonna have a location where basically the information is passed on to everybody about the cannabis space. I am gonna fix that problem personally because I have the tools, assets, and resources to do so. Um, but um, yeah, there's a problem right now, you know? Same old point your finger, point your finger. So I'm actually gonna make it, take it on myself to make sure people have the information. I have a flyer here. Um, where's my guy? Uh, I have a flyer of information that's going on here. We'll pass it around to you guys. So yes, if, if everybody can have that, that's statistics. So that's cannabis statistics as far as like who's buying what in the cannabis industry. Um, but I'm going to start providing a lot of information. There is nowhere to really get the information to prove your point. Um, it's a terrible pass down information, just like a lot of things. Um, so we have to definitely figure out how to get the resources. But like I said, we can take it on ourselves to pay $100 or $150 to whoever, you know, attorney that's pursuing cannabis law online and find out what are, what is going on, what can you do. Okay, I want to start a business. Like, you can talk to people figure out what's going on in each community. I'm based in California, Los Angeles, but I'm from here, from Oxenville, Maryland. And uh, which is why I'm here now, because I want to make it my duty to make sure that we all are actually doing our part and able to lift whatever our expertise is for the higher purpose of black people, you know? One of the things that I've learned, you know, recently in my work is that we have to develop to your point, an enterprise level thinking around community impact and community reinvestment. Mm -hmm. And real estate is obviously the, the fundamental ownership component that we think about. But it's really, I said this yesterday, the most valuable thing we have as a culture is information. Right. Information is our vibranium. It's information. You don't have to have money to share information. You don't have to own anything to gain access to information, right? So information is what our community lacks in terms of within our community, we're not sharing it. We don't know where to go to get information as far as resources online or in the community or who are the specialists that can help to identify the opportunities that are in front of us. So I think what we all can do is do a better job of sharing that information and then hold our legislators accountable too because they have information that doesn't always trickle down, right? They're in conversations around this industry that unfortunately 
they're not getting the pressure from constituents right. to help them bring this more to the forefront, to your point earlier. So I think if we all go back to our districts, whether that's local municipality, state level, as well as federal, talking to the 55 members of the CDC right. and helping them understand sure. that this is an epidemic. If we don't understand how to capitalize on the same thing that's criminalized us, mm. we will still be left with nothing right. at the end of the day. So true. Yeah, we really have to focus on that for sure. So I wanted to mention social media. When um, when Adia asked me to do this show, she was like, oh, I have these guys that you should definitely have on a show. You should look them up. First place I went to was Instagram. And a, a lot of young people want to be a social media influencer, right? So a lot of people have attached themselves to the industry or, be, or, or are being advocates for the industry just for how it looks like on Instagram or Facebook or how popping a Snapchat is. But um, how do you think social media has molded the conversation in regards to cannabis? And I'll say the same thing for real estate development. Gentrification has become a real sticking point word. We're hearing opportunity zones, but folks push back on those things as well. How do you think social media has played a role in either demonizing or having a positive effect on both those issues? I'll start with this one. Well, my background is pretty vast. And at one point in my career, I, I ran social media and digital marketing for Hilton Hotels globally. And it was at a time when this was like 2008, 2009, the industry hadn't skyrocketed to what it is today. But at that time, I was running their whole dot com. So, you know, from language translation across different regions of the world, and we were using the information to kind of help understand what the forecast of the future would look like. Right. And what I can tell you is from my experience, um, again, that's another that's another industry where we have we have no real place at the table. Mm. We're consumers. We're consumers of media. We are making these corporations wealthier by the minute because of the targeted advertisements that we continue to click on. So if you like Gucci, you're gonna go to Gucci's website you might follow Gucci on Instagram. Next thing you know, Gucci is gonna start showing up in your feed. Yes. And the next thing you know, you're gonna click on that and you're gonna be buying more Gucci. And you're gonna, you're gonna post the Gucci that you bought in your Instagram post, right. showing everybody the new Gucci thing that you bought. And that's a perpetuated cycle. Right. We do it with everything. From the cars, jewelry, clothing, shoes, whatever. Our electronic devices. So. We, again, have a $1.2 trillion buying power and an infinite buying power or influential power when it comes to how we are adapted to social media and what we're doing that portrays a lifestyle or portrays a sense of belonging to a particular community that we don't necessarily own any of it. Right. So from my research and my understanding and, and the things that I've led in my career, um, African-Americans are, are not highly sought after when it comes to look at, looking at the digital space and how we can achieve um, a larger input, input on what things are happening around us, to us, or for us. Um, corporations aren't, aren't concerned because we do it for them. We, don't, we give everything away, whether we realize it or not. So I think we have a tremendous opportunity in social 
and digital media to, again, we don't have a resource. Like, where do we go? Where do we go to really share our information, right? Where are the e-commerce sites specifically for black people? Um, yeah. Blavity is, is doing a really good job in the digital space. Um, and there are a few others, but again, our ecosystem is limited. Very limited. Um, the digital space in the cannabis industry is kind of catching up. Um, everything soft marketing, no hard marketing. Of course, there's restrictions on marketing um, as far as marketing any flower consuming. If you're, you know, for any brand on social media, you can't really market it. Um, you can only do soft marketing like Redmond. So how I feel social media is affected in the cannabis industry is uh, the same as uh, any media outlet, uh, a magazine, somebody smoking on it, you know, influences, you know, billboards, influences. Uh, I think social media is, I don't know, we gotta have a black Instagram. We gotta That's stop real. It. That's real. I'm counting on Miss Rich and the audience to uh, handle that. Uh, and uh, yeah, um, social media is not a factor yet. Know, not until they stop banning content. Now, as far as we go back into the conversation of cool, like I said, the cannabis industry is missing. Um, if you can coolly find a way to advertise for a cannabis company right now, you're winning. I guarantee you, you're winning. So there's a lot of little ways to get into the cannabis space that just doesn't have anything to do with a license. You know, Warren Buffett is rich because he's a connector, nothing else. Never lose sight, but at the end of the day, black people, we have a problem with owning things, you know, and keeping things and passing things down. But to get on a lighter note, social media note, I'm just gonna say, uh, yeah, find yourself a job in social media and the cannabis space because they need it badly. They need to figure out how to make people like things uh, without showing them the flower on screen. So, yeah. It's almost, similar to what's, what happened in the vaping industry. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the vaping industry did a really good job. Yes. Mark, I mean, it's, it's a crisis now. Right, right. You know, <laughs> right. Discovering all these issues with vaping. But as far as it, looking at it from the outside, how it was released and marketed, they did a really good job. Right. You know, in terms of socializing, socializing vaping into, you know, the youth, into millennials, and now it's turned into the, the flip side of that, of that story. And I'll, I'll just say one more thing on social media. As it relates to cannabis and any industry, but since we're talking cannabis, where are celebrities? Where are our social influencers, right? Great point. We don't have, I mean, in every rap song, every hip hop song, you can think about everything that folks want to talk about, right? But the one thing you don't hear is, how I'm investing in marijuana, how I'm investing in my community, how I'm taking this bag and putting it back. Exactly. You know what I mean? So I think we owe all of them a call or a tweet or some type of ind indication of, hey, what's up? I mean, we Jay-Z, I mean, you cut the deal with the NFL. Why aren't we talking about this, right? That's a whole nother panel. It is a whole nother panel. <laughs> it is a whole nother panel. But you know, we have not only a significant purchasing power, but we also have a significant influential power. And we have some, some pretty significant folks that are not a part of this conversation right now. 
that a lot of people look up to. Right. Um, and I think there is some social responsibility. You know, not just the social media, but there's a social responsibility in terms of making sure that the right information is getting out there and it's being shared. So we talked about um, Opportunity Zones, we talked about cannabis, and I feel like right now, the conversation about creating generational wealth for people of color, do we really think that these two industries are supposed to be our poverty busters? Because I just feel like every other community has infinite opportunities and areas. Like the conversation is really centralized in these two areas as if this is supposed to fix us. Why is that and is that the case? What are, what are the two areas? Cannabis and what's the um, Opportunity zones. Opportunity zones. Yeah. Uh, but to be short, uh, this is the God plan, okay? It's the God plan. And I'm not, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and start running with that. Because I believe if God sets the black people mm -hmm. to learn how to share and come together, you know, because it is our test, it's our last hope. As far as I'm concerned, people want to talk about reparations, right? But there's a 24% excise tax in California on cannabis purchases, period. No matter which way it goes, there's an excise tax on it, right? That has nothing to do with local tax, that has nothing to do with any, any kind of fees or anything, okay? This is a random tax that the government takes, okay? What's it called again? The tax? Excise tax. Excise. 24%, okay, of billions. Where does right? that money go? Cha-ching, government's pocket, see you later, okay? <laughs> that money alone is all we need to focus on, okay? Where are we reallocating the funds that are going into the government's pocket, right. okay? Oh, yeah. This is money that just started coming into the uh, economy, before it doesn't go into the economy, but the government's pocket. So I think we should start drawing attention to things like that, like, okay, well, if we can't have ownership, we want guaranteed, well, first of all, we will have ownership, no market for that, but uh, we'll have guaranteed a supply of money coming back into the community mm -hmm. that each dispensary is responsible for really like finding the specific resources that each community needs. You know, because like I said, if you're gonna open a shop, you're gonna have to really listen to the influence of the community as far as how you take care of it, you know, and where is it paying, where's your customer paying tax? But uh, to keep it a little bit more narrow, uh, this is the God plan. It's, it, it tests us to stop being so secretive. Jay-Z made a move. He could have easily made a move with more people like he did on time. You know, he could have easily made a more move. I mean, but everybody wants to, you know, black people got to stop doing that too. Every time we see somebody doing one thing, we like, oh, I, I'm going to see this, this, and this thing wrong with the one thing he's doing. But uh, Jay-Z, big up to him. But back to your original question, I just feel like... Your answer was yes. Your answer was like, yep, it's God's plant. Everybody, yep, that is going to save us. If you really just think about it, okay? We suffer from passing down knowledge. We suffer from passing down resources. We suffer from all these things. Like, cannabis requires this in order for us to even move at a minute speed of the large corporations that are currently in this market splashing around. They're currently making billions. I didn't say potential billions. These people have figured out how to make this money right now. So everything else is a smoke screen. Pay attention. All right, like I said, I'm gonna start a site called Ferris Hobbs. And, uh, they'll give you information. Well, I don't think we, I don't think we have an issue 
with sharing information. We know how to share information. I'll give you a litmus test. Watch. God is good. All the time. All the time. And all the time. God is good. Okay. So that's passed down generationally, right? <laughs> we could all sing probably 50 songs together right now that we will all know the words to Facts. from Facts. our grandparents and parents like from way back to now we know all the songs every lyric we know who in the song who wrote the song we know how to share information it's just we have an issue sharing certain types of information yeah. also, right so when it boils down to opportunity zones point number two opportunity zones are not for us oh i just want to be clear opportunity zones are not for us. Sure. Opportunity zones are an offshoot for capital gains taxes. That's not what T.I. said though. No. So, no, T.I. Well, T.I. has money though. Exactly. T.I. has money. So anyone who has money has a real benefit of wanting to understand opportunity zones because it helps to create another tax shelter. It allows you the ability to offset big time gains for 10 years. Right, without having to pay taxes on it, because you're investing into communities that have been disenfranchised. Mm. So, as it relates to us, this goes back to the political aspect. I was at a breakfast this morning with Bar uh, Congresswoman Barbara Lee, and a person asked about opportunity zones, and she says, "What we have to do is similar to the offsets with taxes with cannabis. We need to be putting pressure on our legislators to make sure that community benefits are associated with opportunity zones." So if a big time developer, like let's say it's the Oakland A's, comes into a community and wants to put four or five billion dollars of investment there, yeah. well how many of those four or five billion dollars are gonna have a trickle down effect into the local community, right. right? Does that mean we're creating jobs? Does that mean we're creating affordable housing, uh, healthcare, or enterprise development, right? Like the See, National Harbor did. That's right, that's right. So we don't know what to ask for when it comes to these conversations. We hear these big things, that they become popular terminology and vernacular to associate with, but really, really people don't know what they mean. What, what does the opportunity zone even mean? How do I associate? You don't have the money to get involved with opportunity zone. Right. You need to be a multi-millionaire or billionaire to really get the benefits of what opportunity zones are designed to do. That's why the Trump administration introduced them, to help their cronies with right developing more tax shelters, and to say they're gonna do things in the hood, for lack of an expression. Yeah. Now what they can do though, is come in and purchase things, purchase property, right. going back to property, in our, in our communities, or what have been our communities, and repurposing, rezone, create grow houses, stimulate the economy, and then you're left outside, knocking on the door, trying to figure out what happened. I was right? gonna say build condos. There you go, Bill Condor. And that should be a conversation that we are not only a part of, but our influence. And right now, the strongest thing we can do is influence that conversation by sending emails to your legislators at every level so they understand that we're awake and we're paying attention and we want answers yes. on how we can get involved. Yes. Um, so just to piggyback off a few things they said, I want all of you guys to pay attention to the rollout of legalization of marijuana in New York. I mentioned that again to say that another part of the argument was the governor wanted to use the funds and the profits from us legalizing marijuana to rebuild the New York City Transit Authority. Well, minority legislators said, no way you're gonna do that. 
We want to make we want to make sure that this legislation explicitly said that there is a percentage of that money going directly into communities that have been impacted by the war on drugs. So again, we still need to continue to have that conversation with our legislators about what's important to us in our communities and what we need to get done if you're going to pass this bill. You're not just going to pass something, line the pockets of your donors and those lobbyists, and we get nothing. I think we had a good conversation talking about all that good stuff. What y'all think? It was great. It was great. I know they didn't cue the music on it. I mean, listen. <laughs> but listen, the rule for us is if Return of the Mac is not the song that you use at the end of the club or at the end of the event, we are not going home until it's time. And I got 8 minutes and 48 seconds. So, I mean, does anybody have any questions for us? One or two? We don't have much time, but. Any questions? You got it? Yeah, because I'm not going to discourage you. Thank you. Uh, question for you with regards to the Oakland AIDS project. Did you guys build in a CBA agreement for that development project? We're, we're working on a CBA right now, and CBA is Community Benefits Agreement for those who may not be familiar. And that's, that's fundamentally what I was just saying a, a second ago, that any of these conversations that relate to our social enterprise, and community impact or enterprise development as it relates to our economy, we need a community benefits agreement associated with it. So if it involves the acquisition of real property or involves the acquisition of intellectual property that we're passing out or someone is coming in and sifting from us uh, geographically in our neighborhoods, they gotta give something back for that, right? Or at least give us an opportunity to create a pipeline to benefit from it, right. So, so in the cannabis industry, like I said, 1% of the licenses or less than 1% are African Americans. So where is the community benefit, right? We've suffered from it in the criminal justice system, right. but it hasn't been transferred into the reparation, right? Or the reintroduction, just like in prohibition, right? We didn't get a, we didn't get a leg up. He says, you see the CBA being a leveler. leveler. A CBA is like affirmative action. Yes, I, a CBA, guys, in my opinion, is, is what generation past benefited from with affirmative action. You know, if we didn't have affirmative action, there wouldn't be black executives in corporate America in the 70s, right? See, well, you can even say the 60s, 70s, and 80s, right? And then affirmative action was basically dismantled in the 90s, and then we had to start over, right? We don't have a, we don't have any footing. I'm one of very few black executives in professional sports. Not just baseball, I mean all sports. There's probably like 50 of us. Just like there's 50 congressional members, there's probably 50 black sports executives. So my point is, um, we need to demand that. At a, at a minimum, we don't have access, we don't have money, if we don't have information, we need to be asking for a benefit. Something like that that's a people in the cannabis industry that maybe we can tap into for mentorship or something like that. Uh, as far as mentorship, I know there's a gentleman out here that's doing work um, with the city, or at least he, yeah, he's doing work with the city to make sure people are informed. Um, 
I don't know his name, I'll get it for you, but um, in, uh, in Los Angeles, it's the um, group that I'm a part of, which is the United Cannabis Business Association. We have uh, monthly uh, events that you can come to. You can come to our event monthly, and uh, we'll be able to actually inform you. We like to inform about our customers. Like I said, it's a coalition of about 50 retailers that come together, and we use all each other's resources to help the greater good and greater cause and to brace ourselves from the big industries coming in. Yeah. So we have to wrap this up, but it wouldn't be Citizen the Pod if I didn't ask my guests why it's important to them to vote next year. 2020 is around the corner. I always have my little spiel. If we can send 100,000 men and women to war, we can send 100,000 men and women to the polls. So I want my guests to say their names, how we can find them on social media, connect with you, and why they should vote next year. Why you should get folks to vote next year. Again, my name is Taj Tushambe. My social handle is tajtushambe.com. I'm sorry, it's just at Taj Tushambe. My website is tajtushambe.com. Um, I used to work in politics. I used to work for a member years ago. And right now I'm in the private sector, but I'm also working in politics, right? No matter where you sit at, at either end of this table, um, your voice matters. So in terms of not just voter registration, but just being involved, being involved in the conversation. Um, I'm not telling you who to vote for, but it is important to vote. And I encourage all your listeners, everybody here, um, to be informed, right? To be informed about what's happening in our community. In the blink of an eye, this thing will continue to change and leave us behind if we're not a part of the process. It's as simple as that. When I heard, and I'll, I'll make one political statement and I'm through. When I heard um, about Colin Kaepernick saying that he didn't want to be a part of the process, right? the voting process. Oh, yes. And you know, this Jay political, Cole said the same thing. Yeah, in the political process, I'm like, my brother, I support everything he's doing and I continue to support him. Yeah but we need him involved in the process. That type of ammunition, he can be weaponized in a way that can transform our communities mm -hmm. through the legal process, mm -hmm. through legislation, right? So we gotta reel that brother back in yeah. to understand his influence and his power because the rest of our community can use role models like that. Right. And I think it's important to underscore all of us that the more information we share, the more information we communicate over uh, will lead to our death. And until then, we're gonna continue to struggle. I totally agree. Um, yeah, definitely go vote. Go vote, gotta go vote, no question. Um, yeah. I have a hard time with, yeah, you know, just trying to encourage people to understand that Voting is like Instagram, you know? It's like you need followers to win, right? And uh, you, just, you just gotta understand that our, our black Instagram is voting. Our black Instagram is strength in numbers. So, uh, yeah, that's it. And, uh, Where can they find you on social media? Bears Vibes, we eat like an animal. Sure, Bear Bears Vibes. It is two houses. So my name is Kina Zontel. You can find me on Instagram at Kina underscore Zontel. You can find me on Facebook at Kina Zontel. You can find me at, on Twitter 
at Kina Zontel. The podcast is Citizen the Pod. But I want to thank these two guys for coming on the show. I appreciate you so much. It was last minute. I want to thank CBCF ALC 2019 for letting someone like me, a young woman of color with a podcast, get on a stage and do her thing, right? Like, we out here, ladies, we out here, you know? So I want to thank all of you guys for coming. Thank you, Adia. I appreciate you. Um, yeah, find us on social media, listen to the show, and hit my inbox because I see a whole bunch of guests in here. I mean, come on, come talk to me. Politics is about everything. We literally buy our hair. Listen, we can get political about that too. So let's get out here. Let's keep doing it. This was Citizen the Pod. Thank you. What's up, citizens, voters, patriots? It's your girl, Kina Zontel. And if you want to know more about me and the show, follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Kina Zontel. And also subscribe to my YouTube channel, Kina Zontel. And hit subscribe on all the podcast platforms that you're listening to the show on.